0: why gun violence is an issue in our state we're bringing you a variety of perspectives and voices from across the state of minnesota all advocating for gun violence prevention this podcast is a tool to help decision makers and stakeholders throughout our communities make informed decisions that will mitigate this public health issue this is also for the supporters the volunteers and the frontline workers who give selflessly and tirelessly to the movement Thank you for tuning in and showing your support for gun violence prevention efforts across the state of Minnesota. I am your host, Iolanda. In this episode, Jared discusses suicide prevention and mental health necessities with Mark Meyer. Mark is the co-founder of Face It Foundation, a Minnesota-based nonprofit that provides direct services to men suffering from depression and other mental health issues. To learn more about Face It Foundation, check out www.faceitfoundation.org. A quick note to our listeners. This podcast contains the discussion of a suicide attempt. This content may be upsetting for some people, and listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome back to another episode of 52 Reasons Why, the Protect Minnesota podcast. I'm Jared Muscovitz, Director of Outreach and Organizing for Protect Minnesota. And I am thrilled to be able to chat today with Mark Meyer, He's the co founder and executive director of face it foundation, a Minnesota based nonprofit that works directly with men suffering depression and other mental health challenges mark uh, good afternoon, and thank you so much for being here.
2: My pleasure, Jared, thank you for having me I'm, i'm super excited to be able to share the story of face it and and the struggles men are are dealing with on a day in and day out basis here in in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, this is work that's incredibly important for sure. Um, you know, I won't get too anecdotal, but I, I'm certainly someone who's has grown up suffering from depression and anxiety and other issues. And so, you know, I know the value of of connecting and, and things like, uh, you know, therapy and other is, other things, but to, to be able to look at it from a, a larger point of view from this nonprofit perspective, I think is super cool. So um, I would love to have you start by just letting our audience know who you are. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and what what drove you to uh to get Face it started and and uh, talk about the kind of work that y'all are doing uh in 2022.
2: Great, thank you. Well, so my name is Mark Meyer. As you mentioned, I um uh, born and and raised here in Minnesota. I uh my background is professionally in the mental health world. I have a master's degree in social work. I taught in the School of Medicine and the Graduate School of Social Work at the University of Minnesota for a number of years. I've worked as a clinician. Um, so I have you know I have the mental health background but what really drove me to launch face it along with the other uh, uh, co-founder Bill Deis back in in 2009 was my own experiences with depression and anxiety and and subsequently uh, a suicide attempt. I um, back in in 2002, I am 55. I have three children who are now, two are in college. One's graduated from college. I've been married to my wonderful wife, Amy, for 30 years. Uh, But back in 2002, I was suffering from very significant and severe depression and anxiety. And it's something that I had dealt with for the better part of my life. But at about 35 years of age, it all finally came crashing down on me. And uh, at the time, had a fantastic job. I was uh, the administrator of a large healthcare facility here in Minneapolis. As I mentioned, I was married. I have three wonderful, beautiful kids. I grew up in what can only be characterized as your normal middle-class upbringing. I was a hockey player. I went to college. My parents were married for almost 50 years before my father passed away. And yet here I was struggling with depression and anxiety. And you know what that meant to me at the time was... I saw no hope for the future. I presumed everybody would be happier if I weren't around. I viewed myself as a complete and utter failure in every aspect of my life, despite the obvious that I wasn't a failure. And over the course of time, those, those mental health conditions took their toll on me. And you know, ultimately, and sadly, one night back in, in 2002, while my wife was at work and my three children were sound asleep, I loaded up the trusty shotgun that I grew up hunting with and made every intention of ending my life. And thankfully, by by the grace of the God I believe in, um, my then youngest daughter, uh, who was nine months old, woke up crying. And she, she saved my life because my wife came home, found, um, you know, an intoxicated husband, found, uh, you know, obviously a very dangerous situation. And very soon thereafter, I was I was transported to the hospital, um, you know, and found myself under a court order, in a hospital, with a master's degree in social work. knew everything that was happening, and yet, like so many men, I couldn't come forward. I couldn't ask for help. I didn't know how to ask for help. I assumed that I was the only person who was broken to this degree, and and like I said, you know, just a moment or two ago, is I just assumed everybody would be better off without me. And, and clearly, you know, that's, that's not the case. And so over the course of time, as I began to go through this recovery process, um, and I use the word recovery, not recovered, I think this is an ongoing journey for all of us. And I, you know, I've learned far better ways to cope and ways to take care of myself. And I've gone through a couple of different bouts of therapy to improve my ability to cope. And along the way, what I really, really came to see was there was nowhere outside of my psychiatrist and psychologist office where I could talk about what I had been through. There were no dads like me. There were no old hockey players like me. There were no guys that were administrators that I could go talk to. Um, And so the advent of Face It is really about bringing men together so they can share. And you know, we laugh, we, we provide all sorts of services for which we don't charge a nickel and we don't bill insurance. We kind of say we sell friendship for free and it's friendship and community. And I had a, I had plenty of friends when I went into the hospital, I had fantastic friends. I just wouldn't share with any of them what I was going through.
1: Wow. That's, I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. It's it's an incredibly powerful story. I mean, uh, and certainly speaks to you know, obviously, I mean, your experience is uh, is one I think many other people share. Um, but like you said, they're not sure how or where or why or who to reach out to, how to talk about it. Um, they're not sure what's available. So it seems like you've been able to kind of slide into the space and provide a necessary outlet or a resource for people where it may not have existed in the. It sounds like it didn't exist in the past, and and that is, I don't think surprising to me, but it is disappointing um, to know that, right?
2: Yep. And, And, you know, we know a lot about men and we know a lot about men and help, you know, willingness to seek help. And, you know, men will not go see their primary care providers. I mean, if it isn't bleeding or about to fall off, a guy just ignores it, rubs some dirt on it and moves on. And, you know, we do this as some sort of badge of honor. And really, quite frankly, it's just not very smart Mm -hmm. um, because most of these issues tend to get worse over the course of time. But, you know, one of the things that I think we have not done a great job at is connecting men to ways in which they will get help. And I again, I'm clinically trained. I have a ton of therapist friends and I commend the work they are doing but the reality is for a lot of guys this idea of sitting down one on one behind a closed door with someone who they know very little about using language most of us are not socialized or raised with it's not a it's not a good environment for them and so they don't yeah. go and and so you know what we've done at face it is we're not a mental health organization we provide mental health support but, you know, we're not a therapy organization. We're not a treatment program. We're not a 12-step program. We really are just a place where guys can gather. And, and how we do that primarily is through our men's peer groups. And, you know, we have 20 of these groups. We serve over 200 men. And I think, you know, as you said, and, and you know, I could certainly be wrong, but certainly in the state of Minnesota, it appears, and nationwide, there doesn't appear to be an organization focused on men depression, anxiety, peer support, you know, support groups, a bunch of other activities we do uh, free of charge, just where guys can gather. And, you know, we don't ever look to replace people's friendships. I don't look to replace people's treatment that they're getting. We're just a little add on that I think so many men need. And, and look, I, I grew up <clears throat> I grew up in a northern suburb of Minneapolis. I'm a blue-collar kid. My dad was an electrician. My dad was in the Navy for 12 years. My uncles are truck drivers and plumbers. And, you know, we were blue-collar people. And I lost cousins to suicide, and it never got talked about. I lost, you know, other people that we knew had these mental health struggles, and it never, ever got talked about. We knew it was happening, but we didn't know how to talk about it. And we have to change that, you know, guys have to move beyond this, this notion that somehow it's a weakness to be honest about what's going on. Because what I'd like so many you know, of your listeners to hear, particularly the guys is you think this is just impacting you. But let me tell you, when I was in the place I was, I was ruining my marriage. I wasn't a good dad. I certainly wasn't a very um, focused employee. I mean, this wasn't just me paying this price. It was everybody around. me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's interesting that you bring it up in that way. I mean, it's that's kind of the way that I that we talk about um, that we want to talk about. And we are talking about suicide prevention. In Minnesota, as we as we have been pivoting to really try to tackle this, um, not just from a perspective of suicide with firearms, which we can t- certainly discuss in a little bit, but um, just suicide, it's suicide prevention and mental health awareness in general. Um, and yeah, I mean, because uh, when I talk to people who are unclear about why we're addressing that, uh, there, you know, I run into people who don't necessarily view suicide with a gun as gun violence, and um, that's an interesting perspective to me. I obviously don't agree with it. I, believe, I certainly believe it falls under that category. Um, but what I try to relate to them and, and, and get them to understand is that someone taking their own life, it doesn't just affect that one person. It affects the family. It affects the community. It affects their friends, um, especially in small towns in rural Minnesota, where the majority of suicides are taking place. Um, it can be that entire town. It can be towns of a hundred and you lose one person, that's an incredibly tangible loss. And it doesn't just impact the person who's pulling the trigger. Um, and it shakes a family, it shocks a family and it, it changes that life. It changes all of their lives forever. Um, so to know that there's a place that you can go to have these conversations, or to talk about you know, what you're dealing with, I think that's obviously incredibly valuable and important. Um, yeah. yeah. And,
2: and, you know, you you, you raise I mean, I, I, the impact of suicide is, you know, it's so far reaching. And I think it's a it's a it's an issue that's very difficult for people to really sit and wrap their arms around and give adequate thought to what it means when somebody dies by suicide, because it's such a horrific tragedy. And and what you pointed to is the far reaching impact of it. You know, I'm 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 20 one, almost 22 years removed from being in the hospital. And the one thing that still catches me day in and day out is what I would have left for my children had I ended my life. You know, in the work we do, we work with very high risk individuals who show up at face it, who I've literally just been discharged from the hospital who have had suicide attempts. And the impact is profound. I you know we we support a group here we call it the Face It Moms. And it's a group nobody wants to be part of because it's all moms who have lost a child and in the case of the 40 or 50 moms we have they've all lost a son to suicide. And you know I've had moms say various things to me like you know as a mom I had one job that was to protect my child and I failed. And that mom lives with that Moving forward, Um, I've had moms say, you know, you know what, or, or, or wives, I've had a wife say to me, you know, what my husband did is he, 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 he took his big pie of challenges, cut it in three pieces, gave me a piece, gave my son a piece and gave my daughter a piece. And, you know, this isn't a shame or guilt thing. This is simply to acknowledge that there are things we can be doing on the front end to help save people's lives. And probably the best thing we could be doing, I believe very strongly, is creating opportunities for men. We focus on men and we lose mostly men to suicide and we lose a lot of men to alcohol and drug abuse. And we have a lot of domestic violence that's associated with depression. I can assure you of that, is to create space and place for men to talk. And that's what, you know, when we launched Face It, back in 2009, I had people saying, this is ridiculous, guys won't talk. Well, that that's just not true. Men will talk. Men need a place where they can talk. Men need an environment that makes sense to them. And again, this is not to take away from the absolute incredible value of therapy, but we know guys don't do therapy. And, and we actually have created a program where we Work with men in a peer support group, and then introduce them to therapy, and then support them while they complete therapy. And we've shown incredible success with this. But you know, if 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 a guy goes and sees his primary care provider after hemming and hawing for months or years about needing help, and walks out, and the only thing the primary care provider says is "Here's an antidepressant, and call your local therapist," it it's not often going to be what the guy is willing to do we need more ways of reaching people to help them
1: absolutely i know i'm looking at just some statistics here from the uh american foundation of suicide prevention you know in 2020 we know we see men died by suicide 3.88 times more than women so almost four to one and white males accounted for nearly 70 percent of all suicide deaths in 2020 so you know this again speaks to the issue that you know we're not trying to you know disregard and 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 simply forget about the needs of of, of women and, and other people but there is a severe lack of resources that are being allocated towards the vast majority of people who are taking their own lives um so i mean to know that that your group exists and is doing this work is i think is important for for people to understand um talk mm-hmm. to me or, or sorry go ahead i will just no I no, want no to know, go ahead so i go want ahead. to know i think it'd be important for our listeners to know, like, um, what is the process for someone? If someone comes to you and says, "I need help," and I I was directed your way, what should they expect um, to be, you know, how, how to be greeted with, and what kind of things will they be likely asked to do?
2: So the first thing they can expect is that, you know, barring being inundated overnight, we we will get back to them if they email us, call us, we will get back to them in 24 hours. And then we will go to work to find a time for them to come into the office in a very casual environment and sit down with myself and Bill, who's the other uh, gentleman I founded Face It With. And, and Bill's not a clinician. Bill Bill ran a large auto body shop. I mean, Bill, Bill's, Bill's just a guy, just like me. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And they can expect to sit down and meet two men who probably understand a fair amount of what they're going through. Um And if we haven't experienced it, you know, we've, we've met thousands of men, literally in the, you know, the, the 13 years we've been doing this, we've heard a lot of stories and, and we've certainly seen a lot of guys make significant improvements in their life. And then if this guy so, so decides that he wants to, to join a face it group or show up on, you know, we, we have a men's breakfast where we you know, the first Saturday of each month, we feed 50 guys in our office and somebody will share a story. Or if he wants to join us for a a town hall baseball game in in the summer, or if he wants to go on a hike, we've taken guys hiking, snowshoeing, broom ball, um, retreats, you know, we we don't need to sit in an office to help a person. Mm -hmm. And what he can probably be fairly assured of is that he won't be judged. He, he won't certainly won't be looked down upon with regard to being weak. In fact, we will celebrate the fact that this guy had the wherewithal to realize not only does he need help, but everybody around him will be better off if he gets help and he'll get, he'll get hopefully what he needs. And we will guide him. If he needs to see some other professionals, we will certainly support that and try our best to get him connected. Um, But, you know, we acknowledge walking through the front door of face, it can be a very difficult thing for men. Jared, I've met guys who have told me they found out about our organization two, three, four years ago, and it took them that long Mm. to agree to come forward. And, and, you know, myself, like so many of the men we meet, I didn't get help until I was in absolute, complete, 100% crisis. And, You know, we meet a lot of guys in crisis and those crises are precipitated by bad decisions, by untreated mental health, by choices that, you know, a lot of guys get caught and then they start getting help, whatever that getting caught might mean. Um, But if we can get people before that, that moment of crisis, I think we have a real opportunity to save people.
1: I couldn't agree more, I think, especially getting just getting to the point to let people want to know like, Hey, what you've done here by taking this step, this is a brave thing you're doing. And it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength that you made that leap. It it is a big, it is kind of like jumping off a cliff. You don't know if you're going to, where you're going to be landing, but you, you have to, you know, believe and have the faith that you'll be able to come out the other side and having these resources with you. Um, And yeah, I think that that's super smart to be not just looking at it from a therapeutic angle or from a clinical angle, but to, I, I know that I thinking back to times when I was struggling more than I am now and times when I was in really in need of help, you know, to think about maybe getting out into the environment with people who are dealing with these issues to, you know, to see them living life, to be able to try to experience that, you know, and to just understand that all this stuff and all these things that are in these experiences I haven't gotten to yet—these are all these things that are still coming—I just think that really is a really smart way to to offer hope in a very grounded sense. Um, yeah, that's very cool. And you know, I think, um, yeah, this is—I just am, I'm blown away by this story. I'm blown away by this this. What 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 you guys are doing this this niche that you're filling, um, is, I think it's super important and very very good for all and, of us to be supportive of.
2: And and you know I certainly don't want to discourage anybody from ever <laughs> supporting. Face it, but you know what we do doesn't cost a lot of money. There there's look we're AA minus the twelve steps, and you know AA doesn't cost a lot of money. We we have 27, uh, so we have 20 men's groups, 20 ongoing men's groups. I have 27 men who volunteer to facilitate these groups. I don't have to pay them. They show up every other week because they also get something from this group. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is, we, we train these facilitators by supporting them, by helping them with communication skills. You know, most of these guys, you know, the, the work that we do is fairly easily replicated. In, and, you know, what, what you need is you need volunteers, you need people who are willing to, you know, show up on a consistent basis. I mean, there isn't a church, a, a, a VFW, a legion, anything out in the state of Minnesota that would not open up a room. And the volunteers that run our groups, I mean, these are just guys who know how to Talk about what's been going on in their life. It's There's not a formula. It's not treatment. Remember, I, I said earlier, we sell friendship for free. And, and what's really critical for the people who run our groups is simply a willingness to sit in the presence of guys who are struggling. And, you know, there are mental health organizations all across Minnesota that could help, um, you know, just provide support or, you know, you you could connect, you know, regardless of where you are, you could connect with a local therapist and say, hey, every Every other Wednesday, there's a group of nine of us meeting. If I need some help, can I call you? Can you, you know, this can be accomplished and it doesn't have to cost and it doesn't require copious amounts of money. This is about, this is about acknowledgement. You know, far too often I have met people and I have traveled, well, I've traveled all over the country, but I've certainly traveled all over the state of Minnesota. And I still meet people who want to believe this is someone else's problem. And this problem is happening in every town, every city, every you know, county in the state of Minnesota. And, and you're, you know, suicide data, as appalling as it is, doesn't even begin to capture what's happening out there. I mean, suicide is the culmination of something that, you know, the vast majority of people who, who deal with depression, anxiety, substance use, they'll never even have a suicide Suicide doesn't even like I said, it doesn't even begin to capture the magnitude of the problem.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the numbers and have them in front of me, but my assumption is that you're very correct that most people who deal with mental health issues, most people that deal with depression don't um, uh, make an attempt on their life. So if we're simply focusing on those statistics, we are leaving out the vast majority of people who are in need of help. So that's a really good point. Um, one thing I wanted to ask um, is, you know, because it sounds like so much of what you do is is based on in-person and in community, which is super important. How has FACEIT been able to adapt during the pandemic? Um, and what kind of things were you able to do to keep people connected at a time when isolation and job loss, economic downturn, all of these things were only exacerbating the issues around mental health and depression and making things vastly worse for people at a time when we really could not afford it
2: right you know and and it was it was a challenge i'm i'm grateful for zoom if i never had to be on a zoom call again i'd probably be okay with that amen to that (laughs) i mean zoom zoom saved our organization obviously because we were able to quickly pivot and and move our our groups to zoom we prior to covid Face it, the guys that had come to our groups, to our knowledge, we had never lost anybody to suicide. And we work with the highest risk group for suicide. COVID, we lost two guys to suicide. And it was the isolation. It was the being cut off from people. You know, it was hard. We did the best we could. Um, We had Zoom groups. We tried virtual breakfast. You know, we did what everybody else was trying to do. And, and, uh, you know, it was as successful as it could possibly be, I guess, you know, I would get a lot of calls. We certainly saw an uptick in, in people looking for support and, you know, all those go-tos that you have for people, like go out and be with your friends, go out to dinner, go, you know, some of this social stuff, obviously it was all shut down. Um, So, you know, it was tough and, and we did what we could. We, uh, the minute we were able, we started coming back together. Because, you know, depression and anxiety, isolation, secrets, hiding. I mean, my gosh, the, the pandemic was, you know, the lifeline for people who want to isolate. And we really are grateful to be back in person. You know, most of our guys were really itching to come back. I mean, you know, we serve, we serve the entire age range. We have groups for men in their 20s and we have groups for guys who are retired. So we serve this whole age range. And we had people who were at greater risk for the ramifications of COVID than others. Um, But we really, uh, we have found that one of the most important aspects in this recovery journey is community and being with people and being with people in a healthy way. Um, You know, face it, none of our activities ever are, they're always alcohol free. They're certainly always drug free. Um, Guys know how to be with other guys, but so often it's in a very unhealthy manner. And so, we really do try to promote the importance of being together in a supportive and friendly um, environment. We still laugh. We still joke. You still might think, Oh my God, it sounds like a bunch of guys on a fishing trip or something like that, but it's not, it's super supportive. And it's, 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 it's a very safe environment that we've created.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I can imagine that being effective. I think about how much I think I would have appreciated and enjoyed an opportunity like that. When I was going through those times and I definitely, you know, would have benefited from it. Um, you know, I, um, I so appreciate your 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 work and your thoughts on this and, and for joining us today. I'm wondering if we could close on this, you know, first off, I think everything that you speak to tells me that it, it reinforces this idea that this the fact that suicide does not impact just one kind of person, one age of person, a person going through a specific time in their life. You know, we know people go through these challenges at all ages and in all you know, different walks of life. You know, no one is immune to this. So I wonder if you could speak to the need, not only for these long term solutions that we want to work on, but the need for uh, ensuring that people have the help that's available or knowing what's available to them in the immediate, but also, you know, if you had, if you could pass along one message to someone going through a tough time, or in this case, you know, another man going through a tough time, um, who maybe, who maybe finds, finds himself listening to this, what would be that message that you would want to share with them?
2: You're, You're not alone. You think you are. You think nobody else can get it. You think nobody else can feel this way. You assume everybody would be better off without you. And in all likelihood, nothing could be further from the truth. It requires you to take a step forward and to put your hand out. And it does require you to take some risks to try some things like connecting with others, opening up, being willing to talk about what's going through your head. Um, But the benefits of it are so, so, so significant. You know, I think about that night and I was a hair away from losing my life and passing on all this BS to my family and my kids. You know, I think about access. You know, we 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 know people die by suicide with guns. And, And look, I'm a gun owner. I'm a hunter. I don't have any issue with guns, but I will tell you right now, I have held guns for people. We have had people get their guns out of their house during these times in which people are at significant risk. And if you know of somebody who's struggling, who you know is using alcohol, I mean, look, alcohol impairs judgment. Most of these suicides are probably impulsive acts. And when you have immediate access to some, look, women women attempt suicide at a far greater rate than men, but they generally take pills. We can save people. For the most part, we can save people. When you use a gun, there's not much saving going on. And so there are things we need to do that might not be comfortable for us. They may be, you know, things that we don't wanna do. We have these deeply held beliefs about I'm strong, I'm tough, you're not taking this from me, I'm not doing this. Well, you know what, stop it. Because in this time that you are acting out of fear, I get it, it's hard to get help. You are causing tremendous harm to yourself and to the ones you care about. You can get help. You can get better. You should and ought to reach out to us at it. Somebody will talk to you. And I promise that you will find way more satisfaction and joy and contentment in life dealing with these issues
1: for those looking to find out just exactly what you do and learn more i know they can go to faceitfoundation.org how else can they reach out
2: they should email us uh info at faceitfoundation.org that'll come to me this voice this annoying voice they've been listening to for the last half hour we'll get back to them very quickly they can call our office we're in shoreview where you know just just in uh, outside of saint paul we're 651 651- 200 um, They should reach out. They should reach out to anyone that they trust, that they know cares about them, and say, look, things aren't going well for me right now. Can you help me? We can save people very, very easily once we know people are struggling.
1: Absolutely. Mark Meyer, co-founder of of Foundation, executive director of of Foundation. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for joining me today and for talking about the important work you're doing. I, I'm very grateful to have been able to have this chat with you.
2: You're very welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you as well.
1: This has been the latest episode of 52 Reasons Why. I'm Jared Muscovitz. Thanks so much for joining us and we will, listen, we will uh, we'll, uh, talk to you next time. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us on protect minnesota the podcast where we explore 52 reasons why gun violence is an issue in our state if you want to listen to past episodes of the podcast or for more information about how you can be involved in this movement visit protectmn.org until next time